Hello, everybody. My name is Chris Velocello. I'm here with my co-host, Gary Armida. We are known as the teacher in the Admin. And we have a very special guest for you today. We have Angela Stockman, who is coming with us from Buffalo, New York. Angela is a successful author, consultant, educator, um, really has done a lot of great things and a lot of contributions to the field. So we're extremely grateful to have her here today. And um, Gary, how are you doing today? I'm great. I'm so glad it's February. Yeah. Right now, January felt like a year. I don't know, and that, and that wasn't a bad way. It just felt like it never ended. I don't know why. I, I don't know if you guys felt the same way or not. But Yeah, it's like a phenomenon where yeah. January and February, even though it's a short month, mm -hmm. seem to be last double as long as July and August for some reason. True story. So we want to make maybe July last as much as mm -hmm. yeah. January. Yeah, it was a very dark and gloomy winter in Buffalo, New York. We didn't get a ton of snow, but... Um, I would have rather had snow than the dark and the mud right. that we've been dealing with. I think that's very optimistic of you, Angela, as well, of talking about winter in the past tense. Right. Yeah. Because I remember last year when we spoke, and I think it was like maybe the end of April, and you know we had flowers blooming here, and you're like, we still have snow up in Buffalo. Well, yeah, so, yeah. yeah. And um, uh, some of you were so great to share plants with me last year, and and uh, Chris is sharing all of his tomatoes blooming and, and growing all over his yard. And mine took four more months to actually be. I'm harvesting tomatoes in Halloween last year. For yeah. Serious. Seriously, I was. Um, so, yeah, we're on a different timetable here. Yeah, go ahead. Go, let's go, go, go ahead. So, how was Buffalo when the Bills lost in the playoffs? I, you know, all it was the first time because I've watched Buffalo lose a few games actually in my lifetime. Right. And um, <laughs> people are usually pretty bitter even in my house. Mm -hmm. And when it happened, everyone was just sort of like, you know, it was a really great season. Okay. Nobody was really... Like it was one of those surprise years. And, yeah, nobody yeah. was really upset about that. I think we're really just super proud of the players. And um, my daughter is, you know, in love with Josh Allen. And, and oh, interesting. Right. Well, he, he is such an incredible character. He's done great things for our community, and he's done them in quiet ways where he wasn't seeking attention, and people find out mm. that he does stuff to be of service. And um, he, he has a really great attitude and I think is really a wonderful role model for kids. So I think a lot of people were just excited to see him do good things and buffalo is a is a great city and i've been able to experience a little more of late because my oldest is at the university of yeah. buffalo and we've been there i mean we got the wings you got duffs you got anchor bar anchor bar or duffs Angela? me yeah we go to duffs more often because it's close to my house on sheridan drive but mm -hmm. i prefer the anchor bar really mm -hmm. now little known fact or probably you know this fact but there's an anchor bar now in the airport in buffalo yeah yeah it's been there for a while well um i'm you know, a piece of it is this. I, I taught with um, a math teacher when I was still in the classroom. Her name was Teresa, and her grandmother actually invented Buffalo Wings and owned the Anchor Bar. Wow. So, um, wow. yeah, I'm a little bit biased, but I love it because the original location actually has great jazz music and a lot of Buffalo culture, and um, that's my draw. The food is awesome, too, but I like the ambiance. Buffalo is a great city. It's, it's a blast. great people. Mm -hmm. You know, the only disadvantage is that it's cold in the, in the climate it is cold but i think that's part of it it builds that kind of resilience in 
people that are there and yeah. they're kind of like, yeah, look, we love it here and I don't care if it's cold and it snows. I don't have that resilience. I know. I, know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want the cold. Justin does. He's like, yeah, it's cold out. I mean, I'm sitting here in a jacket right well, now. All day up, I've had a jacket. We had the heat cranked up in our PD today. When I showed up here on Monday, Daniel's like, the weather's so lousy. And I looked at her, I'm like, this is like spring. Are you kidding? I don't I mean, need to go. It's about 45. It's, it I mean, it's not that. That's amazing. It's really yeah. not. No, really yeah. not. Can't complain. So, Angel, I know you have a lot that you've been up to. What, what's been going on lately for you, your career? Um... Well, I'm fortunate in that I get to work in some really great places and do sustained work inside of schools. Um, so this year has been a lot about, I think people are making decisions around literacy systems that they want to use or whether they're going to design or adapt um, the resources that they use. So a lot of my work has been about facilitating that decision-making process, and it's been exciting to have the opportunity to look at um, the good options that are out there. Mm -hmm. And so that's been a bit of my work. I'm also doing um, quite a bit of work with integrating multimodal composition inside mm -hmm. of schools, which has kind of been my jam for a, for a while now. Um, mm -hmm. And the research process that I started maybe about 10 years ago kind of took a different bend over the last couple of years. So um, I was in the classroom for a long time, for about 12 years. And when I left the classroom, I was invited to be a staff developer for my local BOCES. And I had the great fortune of working with lots of teachers who were really passionate about teaching writing. But this was in the age before the internet was a big thing. And so some of them felt very much alone and mm -hmm. isolated. Mm -hmm. They were really eager to connect with other teachers outside of their system. And so I started um, a writing community in Buffalo, New York, called the Western New York Young Writers Studio, where teachers from different local school districts um, and kids from different school districts came together K-12, and we would write together in the summer and throughout the school year. And I never charged for participation, but the expectation was that if you hung out at Writer's Studio as a teacher, you needed to do action research. Okay. And my expectation was that you give it back to the field. So I needed to be a role model for that. Mm -hmm. um, and I really wanted to use this sort of think tank as a place to study what great writing really was and what writers looked like outside of the public school system like writers in the wild when we let them do what they want to do what do they do and so I kind of started studying that and following the children and the children consistently showed me that um, if they were defining in my limited and very presumptuous mind if they were defining as resistant quote unquote writers, they really like to make stuff. Mm. And so the earliest expressions of my work were really about letting kids build and make and use mediums and modalities other than print mm -hmm. um, to write their stories. And I knew it was working. I knew it was working because then other teachers started doing it. And then administrators would call and say, they're really moving in this class. Can you come and talk with the rest of my staff about this? And I was always very clear, this is really experimental. I'm not really sure why it's happening, but mm -hmm. it's happening. Um, and the work started growing, and I went through a second round and then a third round of research. And I used a model um, called Grounded Theory. It's the same model Brene Brown uses, where mm -hmm. she feels very strongly that you can ground your, your theories and your lived experiences that you have with your subjects. And that's kind of what I was doing with mm -hmm. the kids. Mm -hmm. It's kind of interesting, too, 
when you think about it, once we take away the have to and the structures of schools and the you're doing it because I told you to, it's it's pretty amazing what kids can do, right? Yeah. I mean, we've, I think we've all seen that. I, I think with yeah. your students in class, I mean, I, I think of the time you tell the homework story and, you know, you don't give homework and mm -hmm. we've talked to that at nauseum, but, you know, one of your AP classes, your kids are on there, not assignment that you told them they had to do or homework, right. and at, they're writing you on Google Classroom at, at 12 o'clock at night. You right. tell them to go to bed. Go to bed. You know, and it's, it's yeah. kids will rise to the occasion. Yeah. And have those expectations, but uh, instead of that, do this or you know, I'm gonna right. you know get you you know. The, the, right, it's our, where they kind of feel. I know we're going to talk about like a voice, and they, and they have a say in what they're doing instead of us saying you must do it this way in this and in, in this time frame. And you know, I think that's really where kids get the buy-in. I mean, I, human beings get the buy-in. I know as a professional, if you put a million constraints on me, I'll do it, but. You know, you're not, not going to get the, about the it, passion right? out of me, and my passion gets better results. So. And I remember, Angela, when you first came and started working with us, and, and you've been working with our district here in North Rockland for a long time, and, and we wanted to take the approach in writing where we wanted to be authentic, and we wanted to teach um, ourselves how to, how to write um, not so much to assign writing, which happens a right. lot because I, I know myself didn't really understand it. And, mm -hmm. and you sold me one day where you, I participated with, with a group of teachers and you asked them to build a, a memory from their childhood yeah. and all the emotions. And I remember it was so mm -hmm. fun and I was into yep. it. And then I could feel the emotions of, of the, that time. And, you know, you had us put the stickies and labeling different things. And then it, I was shocked at how easy it was to tell a story that, was emotion, that I was emotionally tied to. Um, because if you had said, hey, write about a time where you were upset yeah. when you were a child or, or you had strong emotions, it would have never come to that. So. Right. And what, what I've noticed um, time and time again is when I rush pencils, pens, and screens into their hands, kids will intentionally lower the complexity of the idea that they want to write about because it needs to match their print power. Mm -hmm. And I knew that having them use these other materials was something um, that was working, but I didn't understand why. So... You know, when you ask, like, what my recent work has been, I've spent the last two years turning to the field of anthropology um, and cognitive science and critical race theory to try and understand what I didn't learn inside my bubble of English education, um, where my teachers were very different, and the experts in that field are very different, and um, it kind of creates a little bit of an echo chamber. So I've done a lot of reading and research and learning to try and figure out why does the make writing thing work? And that has been an incredibly humbling and, and even a really uncomfortable and hard thing to take a look at because what I realized is that I've been incredibly biased um, in the way that I teach writing. And um, my willingness to follow the kids and to document what I was learning from them and let them become my teacher was a great first step forward. But I think there's so much more that I need to unlearn. And that's been a lot of the work of the last couple of years. And I was, I was thinking about this the other night and, and um, had a conversation with, with my wife about it. And, you know, I, I think, and you touched upon a little bit about how we grow, right? And, yeah. and how we learn. And there's no shame in saying that I have to, I have to change what I did 20 years right. ago or five years ago or, or, or three months ago. Because it doesn't mean what we were doing was wrong then. It means that we've changed, we know better, yeah. or kids have changed, right. or techniques have changed, or we have the opportunity to do things differently. And you know, if we're not evolving, mm -hmm. um, then, then, then are, we, you know, are we regressing? And, and if we right. can't do that in the field of education, how can we do that anywhere? Yeah. Right? Yeah. right. And that's what I love about the technology side of um, 
you know, the, the Twitter universe and the, you know, and the Facebook and all these social mm-hmm. media where, you know, there's, of course, a dark side and, and things that, that we don't like about it. But the fact that so many people are able to connect and to right. talk and to share ideas and you can, you know, you can go out there and you may be in your little bubble in your district and, and you're getting knocked down by the naysayers of the people that say this is the way we've always done things around here. But then you can find 100 right. people someplace else in a different part of the country or a different part of the world who's doing things differently. And I think that's how we kind of progress in education. It's like that's that been point. absolutely essential to mm-hmm. my own learning and growth are people that don't necessarily were not raised in the education culture that I was raised in. They didn't go through similar certification programs. They don't even live in this country. And they're showing me the way they do it. Mm-hmm. And the way they do it is completely different than the way that I'm doing it. And that doesn't mean that I can scoop up something that's happening in a completely different culture and drop it into my own and, and it's going to work. I need to be really you know, sensitive and cognitive to, the, to that mm-hmm. reality. Um, but I've learned a lot about um, the echo chamber that, mm-hmm. that I learned to become a teacher inside of. And I'm trying really hard to, to tap on those walls pretty hard and invite other people in. Um, and that's been we're been stronger when we're more diverse, right? Absolutely. Absolutely, and it's harder, and especially coming from from a white male like myself, right. Gary, and and Me too. and you being a, you know a white female, you know we we it's uncomfortable sometimes to talk about different experiences with other with other people of other cultures, whether it's color, whether it's um, gender, whether it's sexual orientation, whatever it may be. It's hard to have those conversations, and I think it, there was a time when I thought it was okay to say I don't see any of those things. I don't see color. I don't see that. Mm-hmm. You know, and and. And that was, I'm realizing that was ignorant because that's not a badge of honor not to see differences right. that people experience. I think it's it's better to see those, under, look, work to understand them, understand they sometimes cause protections that people will put up mm-hmm. and celebrate the, the, the diversity of the thinking but also have an understanding of some of the um, oppression that different groups have felt right. and, and how that still right. lives on. So that's kind of, but, but those conversations are tough and they're when, uncomfortable. When we don't see color, we also don't see the really important contributions right. that people who are different from us can make um, mm-hmm. to our world because they their histories, their experiences have been so different from ours. Their gifts mm-hmm. are completely different and it is you know, often very closely associated with their cultural identity, their their own histories, their racial identity, all of those things mm-hmm. matter. And so I think we've been trained and socialized to say things like we don't see color because it seems polite right. or it seems kind. And there are so many good conversations, uncomfortable ones, but important mm-hmm. ones bubbling up. And social media is carrying that to mm-hmm. some extent and, and creating... Um, these spaces that can be really uncomfortable to engage in. I think the more that we're willing to be called out mm-hmm. um, and the, the better we're able to handle that yeah. um, with sensitivity and with ownership and not get caught up in our own like shame around it right. is probably best. And there's that fear of like, I'm going to say the wrong thing yeah. and it's going to be... Well, we are going right? to say the wrong right. thing. We are going to say the wrong thing, and then, but then it's going to be blasted out on Twitter. I mean, right. I think Chris Rock made a joke about it at mm-hmm. the at the Academy. Like, yeah, there's no host because, well, Twitter, because we've all written something <laughs> at some point that we're embarrassed about. So right. we're always afraid, like, I'm going to be perceived as a racist or as insensitive or mm-hmm. if I say the wrong thing. So we're very guarded in what we say, and that almost seems unnatural sometimes, too. So yeah. how do we balance that? And it's how do we... such a relief complex um chaotic uh and messy sort of mm-hmm. world um that we're living in but i also think that it's good and that it's moving all of us forward imperfectly 
and painfully. But and I think well. the literature is so essential in that too. I mean, I, I've read some books um, between the world and me, and and um, and the hate you give, and and I want to, you know, I want there's others that are on my list, but it helps you see things from a different right. perspective, and it's it's really puts you, um, it gives you somebody else's, um, you know, lens on things right. and things that they experience that. I'm ignorant too, or wouldn't yeah. wouldn't have experienced. So I think right. that that's, you know, an interesting piece. Um, and and again, listening to kids, right? And that yeah. was you know really one of the most important things that we talked about in our in our book, um, the, uh, the teacher and the man making schools better for kids. And we really appreciate your thoughts and on the fact that that we were really honored that you were able to write an interlude for us and be a part of that, yeah. um, because in a lot of ways, you know, you our conversation with you and our work with you really motivated us to write that book and oh. and um, yeah, get sure. involved in all of these things, the Twitter and and you you know we do an Ed well, Camp now that's and that's what you know, I was going to say. Was... Let's take it through what Angela has kind of inspired out of us. Oh, um, you know, there's this thing called Ed Camp. You guys should totally do it. And we said, okay, we'll do it. And then yeah. now it's you the didn't third. just do it. You did it. Three yeah, years three now. Years now. Yeah, and we, you guys yeah. should, you know, start writing. We wrote. You guys should write a book. We wrote a book. So yeah. You know, and I don't know if I told you this, but I hope Angela doesn't get uh, upset. This, but she even kind of planted the seed of a TED talk when we, you know, we hosted That's right. TED last year, and That's she had right. said, "Oh yeah, she doesn't you were telling this. me about you know this <laughs> TED where this place got a license, and yeah. you know, and you're like, yeah." And so I was like, "Hey, maybe oh, we could think, do that." I think RIT Laura, my daughter Laura, was um, on the TEDx team at RIT. Mm -hmm. I might have been talking about. Yeah, so you really have not needed yeah. me to like provoke you at all. But what has been really incredibly rewarding is. Um, one of the privileges that I enjoy is I don't have to work for people mm -hmm. that um, I don't want to work for. Mm -hmm. And I do enter some systems where they're not ready to do the hard work and they're not ready to sit in the messiness of mm -hmm. it. And or they don't necessarily have the culture or even the personal sometimes in leadership capacity to 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 flex and mm -hmm. to do the dance because I can't predict, you know, what's going to happen. But I do. I am getting better at knowing what healthy looks like mm -hmm. and what good work looks like. And um, and you do it here. And, you know, you. I, I've said this this afternoon. I said it to Chris um, a while ago. I was once asked recently um, if because I've worked in a lot of schools, you know, if I were to identify an all-American school, you know, in my experience and in the schools that I've worked in, what would it be? And then I named North Rockland um, because you enjoy such opportunity here because of your diversity mm -hmm. um, and uh, the opportunity that you have um, to learn from one another here because you are very, very different people, staff and students alike. Mm -hmm. That's not something that I've had the privilege to be a part of, and I learn so much and I grow so much because of that. And, of course, it's never easy, right? right. Um, but you handle it in such a human and caring way and people are good to one another here and also willing i think to have harder conversations mm -hmm. um and i think we need more of that in the world and i think a lot of that comes from our superintendent yes. and our leader um mrs eckert who who you know and I, I don't know if our listeners know her story but she came to this country from cuba her her dad was a um was a business owner and and with his brother and they they and during the the castro regime when they took over and and um one day they came and and the government had taken over her dad's business and he said he was 
bright enough and had enough force that they said we're leaving and, and put all the plans together to, to leave and, and come to, to this country and they did about a year later and, and came with, with nothing and settled in, in this area in, in Havistraw in, in North Rockland District and she went as a fifth grader to North Rockland schools, didn't, didn't speak any English at that point, um, but, but worked her way up and, and learned the language and excelled in school and went to college and, and became a teacher um, down in Jersey first. Ironically enough, worked for Joe Clark from the Lean On, <laughs> Lean on Me uh, show. I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty cool. Um, some funny stories about that. But, and then was called back to come to North Rockland, uh, worked here as a teacher, as a coordinator, as an administrator, as a uh, um, assistant principal, assistant superintendent, deputy superintendent, then became our superintendent. Raised two kids here, lives in the same house that, that her and her husband um, bought, um, you know, some 35, mm-hmm. 40 years ago, and, and really just cares about, loves the community, and it's just such a such a, a great story, but I think it embodies our district yes. and, and all that we You are. have servants' hearts here, and there's a, a spirit of servant leadership here that I, agree. I don't necessarily find everywhere that I go, um, but but it's here. Angela, and, and I do feel that, that we are extremely blessed in this district mm-hmm. to work not only with great educators, but to have some of the best students, and, and yeah. our kids yeah. have great hearts. and. And again, you know, I wonder often in education why we don't listen to kids more and ask them how we can get better more. And I've tried to do that. And again, not enough. But what are some of your thoughts on student voice? Oh, this has changed so much for me over the years. You know, as an early, you know, young educator, young writing teacher especially, I think I used to think of student voice in terms of allowing them to choose their own writing topics. Right. Um, (laughs) Allowing them to... You know, if I was getting real crazy, it was about letting them choose their own audience and mm-hmm. having them publish their work, and that was kind of my narrow definition of of student voice. Right. Um, that evolved as I really was put in the position. You know, when I was in the classroom, there were still all of these stones in my shoes around how do I help them become better writers, and that language is so key. How do I help them? become better writers, the implications there around how I'm positioning myself inside of that relationship exactly. are so arrogant. Um, and so I, I used to be one who thought student voice was about letting them choose their own topics so that I could help them and support them and empower them. And um, it's been an uncomfortable education, but what I've really learned is that student voice is about me decentering myself. Yep inside of the process, relying on structures. So I do a lot where I'll ask a question and I make sure that all of the writers in the room have sticky notes to share out their interests, their needs, um, to have them challenge me and what I'm thinking. And my job isn't to judge, my job is to facilitate the thinking. And the most important thinking I need to facilitate is my own. Because if I'm able to create and use protocols that access all of the voices in the room, I can learn what I really need to learn to be of service to those students. And so for me, student voice is more around how they're shaping my instruction, how they're pushing against my assumptions, how they're challenging my biases, how they're illuminating, you know, where I'm bringing privilege into a situation or drawing hard and fast conclusions because I'm trying to make these kids in my own image. And that is hard and humbling and really exhausting work. Um, But I'm getting more comfortable with it. My daughter last week was talking about 
um, she's a little bit more reserved, how she's inoculating herself against rejection. Mm. That she's intentionally every day making herself do something and ask for something that she knows someone will say no to. Mm. And I thought this was what fascinating. Great, yeah, what a, I was like fascinated strategy, by this. Yeah. And she's like, it's making me braver. Like I'm more yeah. willing to like put myself out there because I'm getting used to being told no. She doesn't get mad like I do when I'm told no. <laughs> well, I do too. But like, it, it was kind of like when, when we had this conversation, it made me realize that the more I'm willing to position myself as a learner mm-hmm. and have a writer suggest to me that I might have it wrong, the less defensive I'm feeling about it now. And I think I also grew up, I think we all did. Mm -hmm. As teachers, we came through this system that was all about evaluation. So you were supposed to be the expert, you were supposed to get it right, you were supposed to write your Madeline Hunter lesson plan, you know, with your objective perfectly, Mm -hmm. and if you didn't hit that by the end of the class period and you were being observed, it meant that you were not a good teacher. If you weren't the expert, if you could have some sort of flaw illuminated about yourself, it meant that you weren't doing a good job. Right. So a lot of this is about kind of dismantling that And teaching that has almost perception. become that kind of giving you the information to think about is what yeah. it used to be, right? right. Like here's, here's the information I'm giving you, and, and you need to know this, and it's a lot of inputs, right? Yeah. Information, here's information. everything I know. Right. Here's everything now I know, you know and I'm, and I'm the that, holder of that. Yeah, right? it's I'm that banking that model knowledge. that yeah. Paulo Freire talks yeah. about um, in Pedagogy of the Oppressed, and mm-hmm. this is a totally different world. Yeah. But and that's the one all, that I was, like, trained in. Right. And we, so, were all, I, we all were. We all went through similar. Right. I remember just interviews and saying, all right, well, you know, having, you know, back when I first started as a minister, you know, do they know the math? Do they know the content? Do they know right. the social Now that, it doesn't matter. Do they know how to teach? Because Are they good to those kids? Things, Are they, you Yeah, know? and for me, what it's really been about is you're a great teacher if you can humble yourself right. a little bit. You're a great teacher if you can facilitate the learning, if you can facilitate them finding the answer. Mm-hmm. And sure, you need to know your content and you need to constantly be learning. So in essence, we're teaching kids how to think and we're thinking along with them and modeling. Yeah, and we're also teaching kids how to teach us. And yeah. also be comfortable with failure and knowing how to come back from that and knowing that learning's never linear. And writing's never linear, but I'll broaden that to anything. And I think the, the key thing that resonates with me that you said is decentering yourself as the teacher. Um, you are not the center of the room anymore. And, and, you know, and I even see that you know, when Chris runs our meetings um, with you know, the teacher leaders and yeah. everything. He's not the center focus. He'll give a it's hard quick group thing. And it is hard for him. <laughs> trust me. You've heard the podcast where, you know, I, I know, say I'm maybe t- like five <laughs> minutes of the podcast. But <laughs> this is true. <laughs> but, you know, he allows for us to kind of explore. And I'm sure after a while you might get frustrated. You know, as any not teacher frustrated, would like, bored. Well, I, I like to talk. I get bored when I'm not the one and, talking. And we did this thing today where I totally decentered myself and I went to the back of the yep. room to let teachers really explore sketch noting using resources, mm-hmm. you know, that were really diverse and I kept saying to Gary is this unproductive do you need me to do more I'm used to like I and it, I'm still really uncomfortable no, and with I point out they're doing this they're exploring this they're playing with this this one came up with a whole lesson plan for the rest yeah. of the week you know so I think you know the more secure we are and and it you know I battle this every day feel of use feel of use of course but to allow kids to to do that thinking and have a, an input in the process this and reminds me of, yeah I'm sorry see, no, I'm doing it again. see no, no it's okay no, go 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 <laughs> I was done but it reminds me of and I stole some of your work Angela um, and I think the, the best of us steal good work well, and yeah, steal. We mm-hmm. but um, you know I've talked about this before but but my superintendent and I had a leadership group or have a leadership mm-hmm. group where we meet with students on a monthly basis um, a couple kids from each grade at our high school 
and it, we call it leadership council. We bring him to bring them to our board of ed meeting. We have plaques for them, and we want them to feel empowered. Mm-hmm. And the purpose of these meetings in this group is to number one, teach them leadership skills and how to be leaders. But really, selfishly for us, is to how to make our schools better right. and to get input from them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what I, you know, I'm always thinking about. I also work with our new teachers and that group, and thinking about. How can I, what are my sessions gonna look like with them? How can I get them to be the teachers mm-hmm. that our kids need and want? So we did an exercise, again, stealing from you, where you know, kind of had the kids with, with post-its write down all the character, you know, first identify one of their favorite teachers, and then why was that teacher their favorite teacher, and then labeling different things about that teacher um, that they liked, and then what taking another traits. teacher, you know, and what are their character traits. And then we, we did that and put it all together with, with, with those stickies to, to um, formulate a letter that I then shared with my new teacher group as advice from the students to these teachers that are entering their first or second year of, of yeah, that's um, a beautiful. Of and it was just, it, it, I was so impressed with the content they came up with in these, and it was a short session, and we didn't give them much time, and they came up with these beautiful letters that I shared with the new teachers, and um, it, you know, it was great to see how they really took it to heart and really were so impressed with the advice that they were given. So I thought that was a kind of a great way to incorporate what I learned from Angela along with empowering students. Yeah, that's, that's affinity mapping. That's not my idea. That's from... Gamestormers? Uh, yeah, that's, yeah. A game storming, <laughs> that's a game storming protocol. Yeah. Um, and it's one of the ones that we use most often. So, yeah. What are some things you've done? I know I mean, you've done a lot. I want to hear from kids constantly. So um, one of the big things I do when I'm teaching, I'll do... You know, at at the very least, an end of unit check in, and I want them to evaluate me every time. And you know, for the first one, they're always really. So I'll say, okay, here's where I thought I went wrong, and where I failed you. Um, but I want to hear from you. So pretty much any time we do something at the end of a unit, any piece of writing, you would do a writer's workshop. And do workshop. you find that that's gotten easier for you to take over time? Oh yes, the yeah. first couple times, I was like, oh no, I'm I'm better than that. You know, they're wrong, but. Now, now it's like, yeah, you know, you're right. And I think you, you get used to hearing it um, because in the end you just want to be there and be, you know, what's best for them right. and, and really have them, you know, cultivate the class. And, and each period varies. You know, some, you know, one class um, last year said I was a little too hands off with allowing them. So, and then the other class wanted it that way. So you have to adjust and be willing to, you know, take, hear kids individually. And I, I think we don't give kids the microphone enough Um, and I think that's been one of my missions personally here over the last couple years of you know letting kids talk to you know the English department and 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 really giving a perspective you know last year we had a group of kids even do an ed camp session about their experiences of you know here's our 13 years of public education. Phoenix did the TED talk where he it was a high school senior who is now at um, who's now at um, Yale and he gave a TEDx while he was a senior in high school about kind of advice again to teachers and yeah. about his experience. And it was, you know, it's great. Anytime we can listen to kids, I mean, the surveys, the the individual conversations, mm-hmm. the just simply saying I'm sorry sometimes, right? Because right? we all mess oh, up. Yeah. And we just <laughs> had that. Um, you know, my last department meeting, we had a, a student come in, a transgender student. That was fabulous, by the way. I mean, talk about you. empowering students and, and student voice. I, I really... I just thought it was so good, and, and listening to Nate speak that mm-hmm. day, just really, um, I feel like I was educated, and mm-hmm. I was just so interested in what he had to say and, and his experience, so. Yeah, you know, and the goal was just to, you know, we talk about these, you know, 
English teachery things about pronouns and this and that, and we can argue about grammar, but in the end, we're talking about people, and we want people to feel comfortable in our rooms, and we want them to be, in, you know, empowered and have a voice. And, and your department made space for this person. At the they moment. did, um, you know. So Nate came in and, you know, really, sp you know, spoke from the heart. Had a formal presentation, but it was really, you know, from the heart. And and what an eloquent speaker he was. Eloquent too. speaker, I mean, and not not accusatory. No, not like you. It was just like, hey, this is kind of when this happens. This is how. Right. I feel and how um, people like me feel. So if you did this little adjustment, it wouldn't. It, I would feel so much better, and we would feel so much better. Exactly. And I just thought that was. And you know, it was. You know, I was. I'll be honest. I was nervous before that meeting. You know, a am I putting this kid in a, in a really tough spot? And did B, he volunteer to be in that yes. spot? Okay. Yes. You know, yeah. we we had we had spoken, and you know, I gave him the lowdown. You know, because the English department, we know everything. We just you just have to ask us, yeah. and we know it all. <laughs> um, and Angela, you know that after yeah. working with us for no. the last five years. Um, but great, a great yeah. teachers, and, and, oh and I know yes. you. And I joke. No, and, and that was all, but, all in uh, humor. That I wouldn't, you know, go to battle with any one of them together. You know, that, let's English teachers in general of that yeah. kind of elitist, and you yeah. know. And I remember, I think I told. I talked story, about this yeah. today, where yeah. I said, you know, as a middle school and high school English teacher, what I'm realizing is how completely arrogant. I've been mm -hmm. about language and writing and what counts as literature mm -hmm. and, and lots of things that we develop this false confidence right. around that is not useful. Yep. Yeah. To and you know, I think being willing to be vulnerable enough to, you know, I'll shout Chris out on this. You know, he shared a story with Nate about how a time he felt like he alienated a student and felt so bad, but you know, we're willing to have it. And Nate, I think, made you feel good. You know, made like, you feel better about it. It was I had talked about it when it had just happened. A day or two before, and it just kept flashing into my mind this scene. And I was at the high school for something. I think we were looking at our, our schedule, and we had a meeting. And you know, I was trying to be friendly and get to know the kids a little bit more. It's something I miss being, you know, not a principal in the right. buildings anymore. So friendly, and I, you know, I taught, saw two students walk by, and and just like, hey, how's it going, ladies? And you know, I saw the kid's face kind of mm -hmm. like, oh, like, and I was like, oh, why did I say that? And you know, it. it I, mm -hmm. It was just so like, and I just kept thinking about it and replaying in my mind. So I was able to, to talk to Nada and said, "Yeah, like, hey, listen, like the fact that you had this epiphany moment and that you mm -hmm. realized that okay, maybe I have to address that differently, and that you're willing to speak about it is a step, you know, to go in that right direction." And you right. know, it did make me feel better, but it's still like I still kind of like, oh, wish I could find those kids, and <laughs> you know, of course, you know, but and, um, but I think that's the whole thing with student voice too. You know, we hear things, and it's hard to hear that we've made a mistake, and we know it beforehand but then when you hear it, it it amplifies a little more but you know without having experienced Nate and that talk um, you know I, f I feel like we'd be dancing around an issue and hiding behind these old trying to be ideals, polite again trying to be polite instead yeah. of like really you know really trying to get real right and you know address it address the whole thing of privilege and Nate was like yeah you're privileged but use that privilege for good don't be ashamed about it you know use it for good and be better and to me, I, when I when he when he said that, it was yes, okay. You know, I feel better about that. You know, so yeah. I, we don't put kids in front of us enough in the education system. And even I went to um, New York State is reevaluating their regions, and we're all there, all a bunch of educated. There was a student table group from Ossining there, and That's those great. kids spoke so eloquently about things that they wanted to see to help them, you know, how students right, should they, be graduated. If I remember correctly, they're in um, the university system now. Yes. And they're encountering kids that they didn't go to high school with mm -hmm. and realizing what these people know. Right. Because they were taught differently. Yeah. 
um, than how they feel they're being taught in New York State. And, and they're really having hard conversations about um, the gatekeeping, you know, mm-hmm. that goes on because of the reality of things like standardized testing. And, and um, I read that article as well. And um, people all over Buffalo were were uh, sharing that article on social media, and I was like, "Hey, I know that guy." <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing um, I think is important to remember too is how we ask students for their thoughts, mm-hmm. and not you know in front of the whole class of, "Hey, well, right. what do you think?" Or you know, going to them at their space. And mm-hmm. I remember just as a principal oh, yeah. playing football my first and second year at the kids at lunchtime mm-hmm. was probably one of the best things that I did as a principal but I was just I, of course I had to be automatic quarterback you know right <laughs> I wasn't going to be running you know but um the conversations that I had and what I learned about how to make our school a better place mm-hmm. for our kids was invaluable and and I think you know going to the kids in their space or yep. putting them in a position you empowered Nate to mm-hmm. come and, and get dressed up and to speak mm-hmm. and, and that was great and, and you know going to them at the lunchroom or yep. wherever it is um, at the game, you know, the play, whatever, wherever their space is, I think is important. And giving them different modalities to actually, you know, mediums rather to actually express those thoughts. You know, whether it's a an online forum that's anonymous, whether yeah. it's a one-on-one conversation, or going to their space. You know, you just played ping pong with the gym class just the other day. What assistant superintendent comes? At seven o'clock in the morning to play yeah. a little ping pong. Did I, you well, win, by the way? Well, so here now. Here's the case. I'm gonna go. This, our our our. You don't have to be ed, ashamed, Chris. I'm not gonna be ashamed. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy. I'm relatively happy at how it turned out. Our our phys ed coordinator hasn't lost to a student in 20 years. Um, he can't beat this particular student. hasn't hasn't beat her. Um, Leah. She's a she's a she's a pretty good player. Hey, was this someone you just put on social media or something? I'm getting yeah. confused. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, well, I did put it out with us playing and whatnot, but she she was really good. But I was a little disappointed when I showed up that morning because we're in the cafeteria and I'm expecting a regular ping pong table, but we have, you know, these lunch tables with a with a plastic thing in between, so it's really not an official table. It's a little narrow. You had to adjust your game, and I'm like, I mean, the budget is that tight. We can't afford <laughs> real tables. Like, what's going on? You know? Um, and he's like, No, no, it works. But you know, I got the hang of it, and she's got like she can play like. I, so anyway, we played, um, you know, now and people are watching, and she, she beat me the first game, and I beat her the second game. Now, this is the first time anybody's beaten her all year, so I'm going to take it. Okay? Right. I'm going to yeah, take you, that. You and then the rubber match, she beat me 21-18. Um, and I don't know if we were playing at a real table if I would have won any games because I I'm think sure. she's, I, she's pretty good. Um, she's got a, you know, a cut serve that, you know, I kept knocking into the net, and she, she's pretty good. Um, but I'm going back. I can't go, can't go to Mark's. I have... <laughs> An assistant soup meeting in both seats, but I'm going back. So it's much every less B day. Than this. Yeah, I, and I and I don't usually. I was sweating. I, would, I, mean, ah! I was into it. like I wasn't. And then I asked Rebecca. She goes, "So do people like let her win?" I go, "What? Let her win? No. Like I would never <laughs> let her win. And none of the, you think a phys ed teacher is gonna let you know? Wow. But um, that was you know that was definitely the highlight of my week so far. Um, was that cool. uh, last week was was hearing uh, Nate speak? But um, I think I was confusing this with your bowling champions. Oh, the Bowlington, that was... Yeah, I, that's huge. You know, I've gone, until I came to North Rockland, I never realized how exciting a bowling match is. Mm-hmm. Our girls and boys teams won the section. Mm-hmm. They're going to be going up to state. Um, our superintendent is a big supporter of them, and, and I am too. Um, and we're watching, it goes... So they play, basically they have six kids that play six, you know, matches, and you add up all the pins, and whichever team out of all these teams in the alley has the highest score by pins wins well it goes down to the last bowler our last bowler picks up a spare 
and now he's got to just knock down, you know, two of the, the final mm-hmm. pins. This is in the 10th frame to, to win, and, you know, he puts he gets a strike or whatever. But, you know, had he not picked up that spare? And, I mean, all of these games and all these right. kids, and it comes down to one yeah. ball. And it's like, I mean, you're like, it, it was it was more exciting than a football game, I have to say. It was, uh, it was pretty good. But That's awesome. I know, uh, you know, it's getting late here, Angela, and, and you, um, you know, have to have to get back. But we always do a little off-topic off um kind of uh, um, subject, and, and we decided favorite non-hometown city. So do you have a favorite non-hometown I do. I love Atlanta. Atlanta. Yeah. Interesting. What do you like and, about um, Atlanta? Actually, my Hot daughter's Atlanta. boyfriend first was introduced to her after my husband and I had just gone to Atlanta for the first time, and so he earned huge bonus points by telling us that that's where he was from. Um, incredible culture there, mm. and food, and... Um, Coke I, Museum? Yeah, like we went, well, actually, there was an exhibit, in, um, a design exhibit there in, in one of their museums that was absolutely phenomenal. But we actually took, you're going to have to remind me of what they're called, the things you stand on. in like Segways? Like, Segway. Segway. Yeah. My husband had done this. This is so not my forte. Mm-hmm. So it was absolutely hilarious that I, he put me on this Segway tour all through the city of Atlanta with like high speed moving vehicles and I had to cross streets oh on this goodness. thing. But what was awesome about it was we went into all of the, these different neighborhoods mm-hmm. um, and got to see, you know, the different sorts of neighborhoods mm-hmm. in and around Atlanta. And I was just so impressed and I wanted to move there immediately. Wow. So Have yeah, you seen we really new, enjoyed that. There's a new 30, I don't know if it's new, but I was just watching the night with Michael Vick in Atlanta. And the whole culture of Atlanta yeah. and it talks about the diversity there and the, you know I haven't seen it yet. Yes, it's pretty uh, it's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, I, I fell asleep halfway through, but I, I loved visiting. I only got to go once, wow. but I would kill to go back. How about you, Garrett? I don't know how to pronounce it. Um, Orange Stud. It's in Aruba. That is literally oh, my favorite Aruba. city in the world. The trees are like right because it's windy in Aruba. The trees grow to the side. Is yeah, that, a little yeah. bit. Um, yeah. It is just the most amazing place on earth, and I would never want there to come back. I'm here. I would maybe now that's there's, why January there's a possibility like, of a of a Aruba destination wedding. For it's, it's quite possible, um, yeah. especially since we went and you know, as long as you know. The now do you have a minister picked up. We, we do marry. have a minister, Angela. Do you know our, my minister? No. You're sitting next to him. Yeah, really? Father Chris. I like to be referred to. Father Chris. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's Marius. so wonderful. Yeah. 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 It's uh, yeah. It's very. Gary had gone to a wedding and said, you know, the friend um, married them. He went and, and, you know, got ordained as a minister. Yeah. And um, and he's like, you know, I'd be fun. And I was like, I'll do it. Like, I'd love to do it. Two, hour, two hours later, I get a, a text with a picture of a certificate saying, I'm ready. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, online is pretty yeah. easy. My brother-in-law married my niece. She had a wow. Harry Potter cosplay wedding. So they were all, like, everyone was dressed in costume. Oh, very cool. Yeah, it was, it was yeah. fun. So my favorite. Yeah, yeah. Marlboro, New York. <laughs> no, I, I, I grew up in Marlboro, very unique place, and definitely a lot of great memories, um, especially Pizza Town. But I, you know, there's so many great places. I love, um, I love San Diego. I love Buffalo. Um, you know, Buffalo's being in nice. Buffalo, did my student teaching there. Mm-hmm. My son is now there. Um, you know, I tell you, I loved Anaheim. I loved going to, to Disneyland and, was... and seeing that. Just so many great places, and so many great places um, to see and visit. I love to travel, so I guess it's hard for me. To pick one, but um, pick I'm one. at a loss. I'm at a loss. You're at a loss. Pick one. Uh, whew, let's see. I will say. Give me one with Disney somewhere. In no, the, I'm no. gonna say. Hmm, is it a city or town? Can it be a town? It can be a town. Let's say Cooperstown. 
Oh, good one. I good like, that doesn't surprise me. I like That's the old choice. town I feel love of it. Stuff. I love the baseball thing. Mm-hmm. I love the kind of that nostalgia. Yeah. I love the lake and, um, you know, the, the hotel there, the, uh, what is it, the Otisaga? It's kind of got the whole ghost yes. story thing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so... Um, so anyway, Enzo, we really appreciate you oh, being so here with grateful. us today. And, and um, I get to link this up into my new book, too. So. Awesome. Why don't you tell us a little yeah. bit about the book and how well, our it doesn't have a title yet, but it basically, um, it's due in two weeks. The manuscript is due, and um, it really challenges the myth of resistant writers and the narrative that we tend to tell about them. So I'm psyched because rather than writing teachers' stories after interviewing them, or administrators' stories, too, um, I'm linking to audio files, and people just get to listen to our conversation. So this is going to count for that too. Awesome, Very awesome. Cool. And you've you've written about some of the stuff we talked about with um, the writing stuff. Make yeah, writing yeah. is your um, make writing is my first writing book. Is the first yeah. book, and um, and then you had the follow up to that, right? Yep, and hacking the writing workshop and hacking right. school culture. Oh, that one and and we have the yeah, you get all those on Amazon. I know. Along with. Along with uh, the teacher in the amid, making schools better for kids. I always forget to plug the book. You know, right. it's like, hey, we're going to do this podcast and get the, our, you know, and, and I forget yeah. to plug the book. And so. we'll we'll end with um, news that the admin has and uh, congratulations. Yes, uh, it's been announced. That so you haven't had a podcast. I'm getting married. No, that's not, <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> um, you know, Chris has been named the next superintendent of North Roth and a well-deserved And there was much so rejoicing proud. in the school district, yes, which that made me very happy, too. Yes. People are As very, squirms very right happy. Now. I've yeah. never seen you be a little... I, I know. I'm just <laughs> uncomfortable with it. You know, it's like, it's funny when you... It's very... I'm excited about it. I'm excited about the opportunity. You must be so thrilled to be wanted because mm-hmm. those, are hard, those are hard positions to move into, and I am hearing over and over again how happy your staff is with that decision. So. Well, I appreciate that. Thank yeah. you. And I do appreciate the opportunity. I'm lucky to work for a great board and a great school community. And, and there's no place I'd rather be than here in North Rockland. And the only the scariest thing about it is replacing somebody that's so revered. Yeah. And there's huge shoes to fill. Um, but it's comforting to know that she'll be in that same house that, <laughs> that's, yeah. uh, that I could walk to from here. And if I ever needed some advice or to, to bounce some ideas off of or to just vent, I know that she's there and I have so many other people that I work with are great, yeah. so I'm excited. We're lucky to have you. Thank you. So, Angela, thank you again. We thank really you. appreciate thank it. You. And until next time, this is the teacher and the admin signing off. Have a great day.